Welcome to Courageous Me, your go-to podcast if you're looking for inspiration and the confidence to put the spark back into your life. Hi, I'm your host, Kim Payne, and I'm on a mission to empower professional women to live kick-ass liberated lives where they're seen, heard, and fully valued. Join me on a journey to reignite your passion, get clear on your purpose, and to put more fun into all you do. To declare to that beautiful human staring back at you in the mirror, you've got this. If that sounds like you, let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Courageous Me. Let me ask you, how courageous have you been feeling this last week? I don't know about you, but I certainly find that my level of courage waxes and wanes. Some days I feel like I can literally take on anything and other days, no matter how much prodding and probing and affirmations and meditations and whatever I do, oh man, it's yeah, it's like trying to pull teeth. It's certainly difficult. And I've been really reflecting on our own growth as individuals. And one of the things, so I was out for dinner with a really good friend of mine about six months ago, and we're having a bit of a meal and we're having some drinks later. And he turned around and he said to me, Kim, what scares you? What scares you the most? What's one of your biggest fears? And I said to him, oh, that's really easy. One of my biggest fears would be that I don't live up to my potential, that I'm where I am now And that's okay, and I'm happy and very, very grateful, but I know that there's so much more that I can do that I want to do, and my biggest fear is that I don't live up to that potential. Now, whether that's because I don't have a choice in it, because something happens, that can obviously play out, but the bigger fear would be that the one that's stopping me from really living out the life that I believe I'm I'm here and that I'm destined to live is that I don't do it, that I'm getting in my way. And funny enough, I'm doing some research around, on particularly around what makes women feel successful, what holds them back, and what are some of those things that are getting in the way. And most, not all, but most so far of all the women I've interviewed, where they feel a similar sense of, you know, there's so much more I want to do that I haven't done yet. And when I ask what's getting in the way or what's stopping them or what's blocking them, most of them say, you know what, Kim, it's me. It's me, not me, Kim, but them. They're the ones who are getting in their own way. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's so true. And one of the things that scares me is that I'm in the same place this time next year that I am right now. That doesn't mean I'm not happy with where I am, but if I'm in exactly the same place and nothing much has changed on my expectations, okay, this is around what it is that I want from life, then that would absolutely do my head in. But what's really interesting is when it comes to, you know, what holds you back and and often it is ourselves, one of the biggest things that gets in the way is this crazy little thing called imposter syndrome. Now, some of you will have heard that word, some of you will have heard it and have it shoved down your throat, left, right and centre, and some of you might not be familiar with it. Depending on which source you go to, because this is certainly a highly researched uh, syndrome at the moment, anywhere from 65% to 70, 75, depending, like I said, on the research of people, particularly women, but it does affect everyone, 
suffer from this thing called imposter syndrome. And it's something as simple as you don't feel like you're worthy or that you're capable of doing something, even though what you've achieved to date or what others believe is to the contrary, which means that you can do it. You've done things like this before. You absolutely have got it nailed, but for some reason, you almost feel like an imposter, like you're there, but someone's going to find you out. (laughs) Like when you are really doing something you shouldn't be doing and you're going to get caught. It's almost that feeling, which is quite weird. And I have absolutely suffered from this most of my life. However, I've been researching this for many years, 10 plus years now. And one of the things that I've come to conclude from all this research, and in particular, becoming very aware of where that plays out in my life, is it's a good thing. And I say it's a good thing because every single time I've experienced it, or I've been speaking to other people, both men and women, and they've experienced it, guess what? It only comes out when you're doing something that is making you grow. You're growing. So if you're not growing, you won't get imposter syndrome. So it's kind of a bit of a a flip, right? If growing means I'm going to experience this imposter syndrome, then bring it on is what I say. Seriously, let me experience imposter syndrome because it means that I'm growing. It means I'm not going to be in that same place next year that I am today. And I mean that in a good way, like I said. One of my favorite, favorite quotes, actually, I'm going to be sharing bucket loads of favorite quotes, but one of the many is from motivational speaker, Les Brown. Again, some of you might follow him. Uh, He's also on my list of people I'd love to have for dinner. But one of my favorite quotes of his is he says, if you're not willing to risk, you cannot grow. And if you cannot grow, you cannot become your best. And if you cannot become your best, you cannot be happy. And if you can't be happy, then what is this life thing all about? And I I love that so much because it's all about, you know, taking the risk because the risk will allow you to grow. And through growing, you can become a better version of yourself And when you become that better version of yourself, you can be that little bit happier. And again, that's what life's all about for most people. Now, I know that's not going to resonate with everyone, but it absolutely gets deep inside my heart and my soul. And it actually reminds me, I picked my eldest son, Harrison, up from school one day and I was getting quite philosophical. And I said to him, babe, what do you think life's all about? Like, what's your purpose here in life. And he said to me, and God, this is a while ago now. So he's 14 now. So he could have, I don't know, he could have been maybe 10 or 11. He said to me, mum, my whole purpose for being here on life is to just be happy. And I thought, oh my God, that is so cool. And he, he literally, when I asked him to explain, he said, anything I do literally has to make me happy. And, and I think that was also, he worked out his way of getting out of doing all the, the things that he doesn't particularly want, like chores. So we did have to have a bit of a reality check that happy does also mean chores. Anyway, I, I digress. But I thought it was um, such a beautiful example following on from Les Brown's quote about, you know, really taking some of those risks and enabling yourself to grow. And this is the whole thing about when you're doing that, that's imposter syndrome, right? You've got to take the risks and do the things that expand your comfort zone. And last episode, when I talked about confidence is a choice, one of the things that Mel Schilling in her book, The C Word, which is the C Word being confidence word, 
She talks about not stepping out of your comfort zone, but expanding it. And I shared that I love that definition because it allows your comfort zone then to grow as well. I don't want my comfort zone to stay teeny tiny. And every time I want to grow, I have to jump out of it. I want to be in it as well as expanding it so that the things I'm doing are constantly growing me at the same time. And and so I thought it's a beautiful flip on if you are experiencing imposter syndrome to also know that this comes because when you are growing, Secondly, it often shows up when we're doing something for the first time, when we're doing something new. So when it comes to doing something for the first time, one of the things that I love to do when I'm working, doing any workshops, is ask people, when is the last time you did something for the first time? Because doing something for the first time often does give us that sensation of nervousness of, oh, am I going to be able to do this? And sometimes that plays out as bubbles in the belly or butterflies in the belly, whatever you choose to call them. And that feeling or that sensation sometimes stops people from doing things like sometimes, you know what it's like if (laughs) I hear this a lot with people who are going to do public speaking or um, a little a little prank I like to play, a, a nice professional prank is whenever I'm speaking on a stage and I'm talking about this very point and I look at the audience and say, okay, I'm going to call a couple of you up onto stage and I'm going to get you to share whatever it is that we were talking about. I said, so have a think about what your answer would be. And in the next few minutes, I'm going to choose some people to come up and join me. And it's so interesting that even just saying that you see people literally, their bodies contract and you know their shoulders go down and they're almost trying to sink into their chairs as though they're saying, don't pick me, <laughs> don't pick me. I'm not sitting here, Kim, you can't see. But it, that reaction that they get at the thought that they might actually be called up on stage. And I, I didn't say, I'm going to ask for volunteers. I said, I'm going to choose people. So even the language certainly got them feeling nervous. I did then a few minutes later put them out of their misery and say, don't worry, I'm not actually going to do that. And seriously, you could almost see the relief that flooded over their face when they knew they weren't going to have to do that. Actually, that reminds me, now this is really a diversion, but it's super funny, so I'm going to share it. Back um, pre-marriage, I was dating this awesome guy And we'd gone over to one of my beautiful girlfriends was getting married in Italy. So we'd gone over to her wedding and then afterwards we went to New York. Anyway, while we're in New York, my parents who get over there quite a lot had said, you've got to go to this off-Broadway show. And they told us about it. So off-Broadway means it's not one of the main theatre shows. It's kind of um, like if you think of um, celebrities being your A-class celebrities and you've got your B-class, kind of the next rung down. It's a terrible thing to say, by the way, but you get you get the drift. So the off-Broadway shows, uh, they haven't made it to sort of the main stage, but there's still a show. There's still, you know, a production and still super fun. So anyway, my parents, so this is my mum and my stepfather, both recommend that this guy, Gary, and I go and see this show. So we do, we book the tickets and we turn up. I'm not going to tell you the name of the show because it's going to give away what I'm, why I'm telling you this story. So we go to the show and we go to sit in our seats, which are, I don't know, 
four or five rows back and one of our chairs is broken. So I'm like, oh, blow, we've got a broken chair, right? We're gonna not going to sit at this show. And the usher was walking up and down. I said, oh, you know, the chair's broken. They said, don't worry. And so they said, come with me. And they walked us up to the front row and literally there were two seats there and said, these ones are free, you can sit there. Now, <laughs> I'm in my absolute element because I'm a bit of a front row hanger. I don't care where I am. I like the front row. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want other heads in front of me. I want to see whatever I'm at. And that, that's whether it's work or play. I like the front row. My boyfriend at the time was not as big a front row fan as I was. This is what the funny part is, right? So then the show starts, you know, the lights go down and it's dark and then, you know, the bright lights come on and these 12 men in bathrobes walk onto the stage. They literally walk up to the very, very front of the stage. Now, remember, we're front row, so we're just, you know, you just got to put your head up a little bit and we can see them. Beautiful pole position. And they all drop their robes and they're stark naked. They've got no clothes on. Now, I am in hysterics and part of the reason why, my cheeks are hurting even just sharing this with you, part of the reason why I'm in hysterics is, I'm all cool with this, right? My boyfriend, Gary, at the time is literally like gone bright red and he is, you know how I talked about people in the audience, their bodies contracting and cowering deep into their seats? He had gone so deep into his seat, I almost thought he was the upholstery. He was just so out of his comfort zone. This is hilarious. And this is probably a comfort zone that he never wanted to expand. So I was literally wetting myself laughing. Anyway, these 12 men with no clothes on then performed the entire show, the whole show, literally with no clothes on. Now, here's the giveaway. The show was called uh, Naked Boys Singing. So... um, But I don't think Gary got that it was going to be done by naked men, given that my stepfather was one of the people that recommended this show. Anyway, the reason I was sharing that story is that when something does make us nervous, we do tend to shrink and contract and we get nervous. And sometimes that nervousness can be so overwhelming that you either want to vomit or it stops you from going and doing the thing that you're doing. So going back to imposter syndrome, which almost creates that same sensation, although not necessarily watching uh, naked men dancing on stage, it is when we're doing something for the first time or we're doing something that is taking us to a position or a place where we are uncomfortable. But my views are, as I said, bring it on because if we wait until we're ready, which by the way is something that a lot of people do, women in particular, I'm not excluding men in this, but women in particular want to wait until they're ready. Oh, I just need more qualifications or I need more experience or I need to do that X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be. And I know this firsthand. I'd wanted to start my own business for quite a long time. I'd been working in the corporate world since I'd left school, or sorry, since I'd left uni. And I'd always wanted to start my own business. And I remember I was in my 30s in financial services, which is my entire background. And I remember thinking, no, I need more experience or I need more qualifications or I need to work with more business owners first, or I need to actually understand how to run a business and what I need to do before I take that leap of faith. 
And interestingly enough, after my first son was born, when he was nine months old, and I was actually on maternity leave, I was a senior consultant with MLC. And I remember thinking, I I can't go back. I can't go back to the corporate world. I've had this time away now. If I don't start my own business now, I'm never going to do it. So it's almost like I had to have that catalyst or that circuit breaker of maternity leave to get me out of the comfort of the corporate world and go and start my own business. And that's actually when I did. So my son was nine months old when I went into self-employment and how I did that and what I did, I'll explain in another episode. But it was really interesting because that, like I said, that circuit breaker is what did it for me. But just before I left the corporate world, I was having a conversation with my boss at the time and he was saying to me, or to a few of us, we were all female consultants in this little get together. He said, I don't understand why there's a lot of females entering financial services, but very few of them are going out there and starting their own business. So I kind of jumped out of my skin going, oh, let me go and find out. Let me go and do some research. So I took that upon myself and I literally went out and interviewed as many women as I could in financial services. I interviewed business owners, I interviewed those that were um, working as advisors, those who are working in support roles, those who are working in corporate positions, maybe more in admin, who um, some of them wanting to stay in admin, some of them wanting to move up into client services, then maybe into an advisor. And to find out those that did then want to start their own business or that did want to grow, what were the things that would hold them back? Now, this, this research would have been done about 15 years ago. And ironically, I've been doing the same sort of research now and the results are exactly the same. Most of the women said one of the reasons was, well, I don't want to start my own business or step up into the advice role yet because at some point I want to have a family and being the woman, obviously the one who has to um, give birth if, if they were going to do it naturally, you know, the responsibility was going to be more theirs. And they said, I kind of want to do that. I want to wait until I've done that. Or others who had younger kids said, I I kind of just want to wait until my kids are a little bit older when they finish primary school and I've got more headspace and more time to do it. And those that had older kids said, oh, I just want to wait until, you know, the kids have grown up and they've left home and then I've got time to focus on me. Or others where kids and, and raising children and having family wasn't even an issue, some of them were saying, oh, Kim, you know, it's... I." I feel like I don't know enough about running a business. Once I feel more comfortable and I learn more about entrepreneurship, then I'll do it. Or another said, you know, I don't have enough experience. I've only been doing it for 10 years. Go figure, right? There were excuses coming left, right and center. And this is the thing that if you wait until you're ready to do something for the first time, I'm going to tell you now, you could be waiting a long time. For example, you would never take that newborn baby, your first newborn baby home from hospital if you waited to be ready to be a parent before you became a parent. You just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't go on that first date with that hot person if you waited until you were more match fit when it came to dating. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't start that job that you'd never done before if you waited until you had the experience doing that kind of work. Like you'd never do it. 
and I, you get the drift. There's, and I'm sure you've got, because I know when I talk about this, I have so many other examples of where I've had to go and do something for the first time. I've been scared because it is the first time, but it hasn't stopped me from doing it. Because like I said, if you do hold back from doing it, then man, and we never did anything for the first time, how boring would life be? Because we all feel like that. So doing something for the first time is actually the way that doing that thing no longer becomes doing it for the first time. And doing that thing is a risk. And through taking a risk, you can grow. And when you grow, you can become a better version of you. And of course, if you can become a better version of you, that can create a lot of extra happiness in your life. And then you don't end up like I did, sitting opposite a friend of mine at dinner, telling him that my biggest fear was that I don't live up to my own potential. So I thought that was a beautiful thing to just share because I'm having these conversations with people all the time saying, oh, you know, Kim, you're so brave. You're out there doing this. You're out there doing that. Hey, yeah, I am giving some things a go. There's other people that have done way bigger and braver things than me, but I am doing it and I am scared and I am getting that imposter syndrome, oh my goodness, flooding through my body. But I am also changing my perspective around it going, bring it on. Imposter syndrome, come to me, grow with me, be a part of me, because this means that I'm doing something more, I'm doing something bigger, and I'm expanding my comfort zone. And that to me is a super, super powerful way to live a happy life. Dan Pink, another one of my many, many brain crushes, wrote many books, but one of my books I read, one of his books, sorry, I read recently was called The Power of Regret. And in this book, it's obviously all about regret. And what he talks about is that when we're younger, so back in our 20s, we tend to regret more of the things that we did do as opposed to the things that we haven't done. So maybe the things that we did when we were teenagers or in our early 20s. And looking back on life, it's like, maybe that wasn't the smartest decision. But we tend to regret more of those things that we did do than we didn't. As we get older, it flips. And as we get older, and oh my goodness, I know this firsthand, we tend to actually regret more of the things that we didn't do than the things that we did. So as we get older, you know, we kind of regret, you know, we didn't go out on that date with that hot guy or that hot girl, or we didn't ask that person out, or we didn't take that job because we didn't feel we were ready, or we didn't say yes to that promotion, even though we wouldn't have got it if the boss didn't think we were capable because we were so consumed with this imposter syndrome that, oh, no, I'm not ready, or this self-doubt that creeps over us. And Regret, therefore, shows us the things that we value. Because if you regretted saying no to that promotion or no to that job opportunity or no to, I don't know, going overseas with your best friend or no to that date with that hot person and you regret it, it shows that that was important to you. So in all the work, and I've done a lot of work on value and what value is and how value plays out in our life, and certainly that is going to feature in some future podcasts. But if you want to really look where you value, look at where there are things that you haven't done that you've regretted. That although you can't do that thing again, right? Because we can't go back in time. 
where can that play out now in your future life, even though it might come in a different sense, but you can do it differently. So another quick one I just want to share with you is when I was growing up, and I'm talking when I was little teeny tiny in primary school, I loved dancing. And one of the things I wanted to do was to continue dancing. I was doing calisthenics and jazz ballet predominantly. They were the main forms of dance. But my elbows don't straighten. Now, in normal everyday life, like most of you would never know, most people I know don't even know that my elbows don't straighten. However, when you're standing doing calisthenics in a row with your arms up and everyone else has got these perfectly pole beam straight arms and you've got the crooked arms, it really stands out. And I remember my dance teacher, gee, I must have been eight or something, said to me that I couldn't go any further with my calisthenics because my elbows don't straighten, right? And it, it ruins the look. Try and get away with telling a little girl that nowadays. Mm, I don't think they would have had so much luck. But anyway, back then they could and they did. And yeah, it did haunt me for quite a number of years. So when I was 22, my nana, uh, bless her soul, rest in peace, she was one of my bestest, most um, beautiful guardians on the planet. I say guardians because I believe she's now my guardian angel, but I had a very, very close relationship. She took me on the Fair Star, on a cruise on the Fair Star. Yes, it was called Fair Star, the fun ship back then. But my Nana and I went on this Fair Star. And on the Fair Star, they had all these passenger shows. And that's just where the passengers volunteer and they go and learn all these dances. They had dance teachers and choreographers and whatever. And the passengers actually perform the show. So I thought, oh, this is cool. And given I never got to perform in calisthenics, this was now another chance I got to do some dancing. So I volunteered not just to go in the passenger show, but I volunteered for every single dance or dance routine that you could perform in the passenger show, like literally every single one. And so then the passenger show, we literally every day we go to rehearsal in the morning, we go to rehearsal in the afternoon, then we have to do dress rehearsal in costume. And then on the night we perform and we do two shows. We do the show for the first sitting, sort of for the six o'clock dinner guests. Then we do a, a show in the after, in the evening later at like 9.30 for the later dinner guests. I was in my element. So much so that when I got off the cruise and I got back into the real world. Now, at this stage, I was still studying. I was doing my grad dip in finance and investment and I was working in a stockbroking firm very happily, by the way. But every night in my bedroom, I would practice the dance routines from these shows because I wanted to be an entertainer on a cruise ship, right? And I'm not kidding. Seriously, this is what I did. Until a few weeks later, and I did this every night religiously, I went into my room and practiced these dance routines because I had to get good at them. I was going to be a dance instructor. And my dad, who's a very practical man, and I think he was starting to think, oh, this little girl's just dreaming. This little 22-year-old, by the way. And he came down to me one night and he said, we've got to have a come to Jesus chat. That was his way of saying, we've got to talk something serious. And he literally said to me, Kim, love you dearly, but you've got to get a grip. You can't sing and you can't dance. And by the way, he wasn't being mean. He was being truthful. And I really can't. Um, you're not going to be an entertainer on a cruise ship. Seriously, you've got to get your focus back into your work and your study because you're driving us all bananas. 
Uh, not kidding. So anyway, I stopped and I didn't go any further. Why am I telling you this? Because about six or seven years ago, a beautiful girlfriend of mine, Sarah, had said to me, there's this group and they teach dance routines and you go and you learn two routines over 13 weeks and that the end, you perform these dances on stage in front of an audience. And I thought, oh my God, that sounds really cool. So she said to me, do I want to sign up for the next season? Do you want to do it? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Why not? So I did. I signed up. I didn't know anything about it. I can't sing and I can't dance as my dad reminded me, but literally I can't sing and I can't dance. And I didn't know anything about this dance thing that she was talking about. I since learned it was called Born to Boogie and I am a massive fan and that is going to come up. I'm going to actually get the dance teacher, Tennille, to come on to this podcast episode, this podcast show with me. And we learned these, we learned two routines and then at the end we performed them on stage. And here's the thing, we performed them on stage at Chase's nightclub. Now, for any of you who are old enough to realise, when I was an 18-year-old, I used to go to Chase's nightclub. It's now a gay nightclub called Poof Doof, and they shut it down on a Saturday night for all of us to get up on stage, perform our routines, all dressed up, lights, cameras, everything. It is amazing. Was it scary? Absolutely. I'm talking the bubbles in my belly were having a rip-roaring party took me out of my comfort zone, serious imposter syndrome, first time I'd ever done it. And at the end of the concert, I was like, where do I sign up for the next season? So anyone who wants to get out there and do that, I can't recommend it more highly. Born to Boogie, fantastic. But it is such a beautiful time that if I had have waited until I was ready to go back to doing dancing, I wouldn't have done it. So a big thanks to Sarah for inviting me to go along. I then have done, I did five more seasons of it. Sarah's just done her seventh and it's super cool. But this is such a beautiful example of if we wait till we're ready to do something for the first time, we might never get around to doing it. If we wait until we don't have the feeling of imposter syndrome to accept the fact that we're growing and we're doing this thing because we can do it, because if we can't, we're actually going to find out pretty quickly. If you've got the promotion, you're obviously worthy of it. If you've got the job, you obviously deserve it. If you're, you know, you got the date with that person, they obviously asked you or they wanted to go with you. Embrace imposter syndrome as something beautiful, as something that allows you to grow. You're human, it's normal and it's natural. And by the way, again, depending on the research, 70 plus people feel this way. So you're not alone, you're normal, you're wonderful. And remember, Les Brown said, you know, if you are not willing to risk, you can't grow. If you can't grow, you can't be your best. And if you can't be best, you can't be happy. And if you're not happy, what is life about? So go out there, take the risk so you can grow. Grow so you can become that better version of you so that you can live your happiest life. Because isn't that what this is all about? As my son Harrison said, life is here to be happy. So whatever it is that you're going out there doing that you need the courage for, that you need to step up there and do it, remember, no matter what it is or no matter what happens, you've got this. Thanks a million for joining me on this episode of Courageous Me. 
I hope it ignited a spark or two within you. To keep the inspiration flowing, hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for more episodes. We've got loads of amazing stories of courage, passion and practical tips coming your way. For all the show notes, resources and ways that we can connect, head to courageousme.com.au. And your feedback is incredibly valuable. So if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to leave a review and a rating. It'll help me spread more of this love and reach more wonderful people just like you. Until we meet again, my friend, always remember, you've got this.